Thanks for joining in for another episode of Art Matters. I'm Farron Gibson. This podcast is produced by Art UK, the online home of the UK's public art collections. Visit us at artuk.org or socialize with our media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram on the handle artuk.org, spelling out the word dot. Click that subscribe button to hear about new episodes first and use hashtag ArtMattersPodcast to engage with us on Twitter. Wish I could be part of that world. We're taking a journey over the rainbow and under the sea to talk about fairies, unicorns, and mermaids. Oh my! No, we aren't talking fairy tales. We're discussing the symbolism of mythical creatures in the queer community. I spoke to Sasha Coward, community participation producer at Royal Museums Greenwich and self-proclaimed mermaid hunter, about where these symbols come from and how we can find them in art. My real passion um, as a gay guy myself working in heritage is on the kind of queer perspectives that we can have on culture and heritage and art. So when I've been working, uh, I kind of love finding little things that I can sort of bounce off about to tell a really strong queer story. And that's where mythological creatures come into it. So you may or may not know, those who are listening, that uh, the queer and gay community has a real obsession with mythical creatures. Honestly, just go on Twitter and have a look at unicorns, mermaids, fairies. For some reason, queer communities are kind of obsessed. They're symbols that we use again and again. But they're quite contemporary symbols. So you see them, a lot of modern T-shirts. There's whole companies that produce these arty T-shirts with mermen and I'm the only unicorn and that kind of thing that make a lot of money. But then I wanted to dig a bit deeper and find out, you know, where does this come from? Why are we so connected? Certainly images of unicorns and mermaids are very prevalent in pop culture, but at various points these creatures have held different meanings. The unicorn can be a symbol of chastity and innocence, or can be used as a euphemism for something difficult to find. Mermaids too can hold complex meanings in art and literature. They can be portrayed as beautiful creatures of the sea or as sirens leading sailors to their death, lovely and dangerous all at once. There's a dichotomy there that's reflected most obviously in their half-fish, half-human appearance. Now, because I work largely at the National Maritime Museum, um, I do come across a lot of mythical creatures. And one of them which really jumps out is, is mermaids or mermen. Uh, we've got loads of those in our collection. They appear in our paintings, in carvings, in snuff boxes, in the background and the foreground. You just can't not come across them. But, you know, the classic sailor tattoo is a sort of pin-up mermaid. They're so full of symbolism. So the tricky thing is, um, I can't really say that I'm a mermaid historian. I wish such a thing existed. <laughs> but I, I've become quite passionate about their symbolism. So they mean all kinds of things. So you have this idea that they are these beautiful creatures that are often the same sex environments of you know when you would go out to sea whether uh, navy or merchant navy and you'd be away from your wife or your girlfriend and so mermaids are this kind of putting the feminine on the sea the sort of like there are no women so we're seeing women where there aren't women and where we're putting our sexuality that heterosexuality in this case um, 
onto kind of seeing a glimpse of a dolphin or a manatee and suddenly it becomes a sexy woman. But also they're sirens and they lure you to your death. Um, there's a whole thing, there's a painting of the Amada portrait that we have in the Queen's house. And in the background, just on the side, you'll see a mermaid. And this is because um, Queen Elizabeth I was kind of known as a bit of a mermaid in that she was this powerful female figure who was luring Spanish ships to their doom. In some senses, particularly in a contemporary fashion, looking at the Me Too movement, mermaids are sort of um, men putting a lot onto women. It's the mermaid that draws us. We can't control our sexuality. This mm. woman is taking control and ensnaring our senses and luring us to an untimely fate. So, I mean, you can see mermaids as empowering, disempowering, as beautiful, powerful, weak. Um, you can see them as all kinds of things. And that is one of the things that makes them so powerful for the queer community. They have all of these different symbolisms to them. Sasha explained to me that sometimes these icons don't have queer connections in origin, but there are magical moments where they do. One of the most popular representations of mermaids in visual culture today is probably Disney's adaptation of Hans Christian Andersen's story, The Little Mermaid. Interestingly, both of these versions of the story have LGBTQ plus roots in their own ways. What we're always looking for um, as a sort of often a marginalized community is to see ourselves in, in the origin. We know we've always been there. So where can we find ourselves? So if I can, I'd like to tell you the story of the Little Mermaid. <laughs> That's OK. Yes. Yes, so please. This is a great example that goes beyond just retro retroactively inserting ourselves into the story, which is great, but maybe not quite as fulfilling. So the Little Mermaid, um, obviously, is one of the most famous depictions of mermaids. It's the story that we all know or we all think we know. So the original story was written by Hans Christian Andersen. And uh, in case you haven't read it and you've just seen the Disney film, which we'll come back to in a moment, uh, the original story is really tragic, really, really tragic. So in the story, the Little Mermaid falls in love with a prince, just like in the film, and she goes to the sea witch who cuts her tongue out with a pair of scissors so she can't speak and gives her legs, except these are cursed legs. So every step she takes is like walking on broken glass. And then she doesn't get the prince in the end. Instead, she sacrifices herself and is turned into salt water. She becomes the foam on the sea. Now, mm. when you think of this as being this tragic fairy tale, there are a lot of tragic fairy tales. The original Cinderella is horrendous, you know, people cutting their toes off and whatnot. Yes. But the really powerful thing is Hans Christian Andersen wrote this story just after being rejected by a man. So he was writing to a guy called Edvard Cullen. And we have letters, not in our collection, sadly, but you can find them, uh, that he wrote and diary entries where he was deeply, deeply besotted with this guy. And we're not talking sort of euphemism. He was directly saying things. One of the quotes was, I think of you as a Calibrian girl um, and how, you know, this you are my lord and my master and really be very physical about the way he wrote mm -hmm. about him. It's worth saying here that Hans Christian Andersen, uh, we, we can't use the word gay in that that word didn't exist. Um, and also, if anything, he was kind of biromantic. So he fixated on men and women that were out of his reach and would write these beautiful letters and often very forward letters. Um, but it's unknown whether he ever actually had a relationship with anyone, really. Uh, but he wrote these letters and one of these was to Edvard. Edvard responded by saying, I cannot 
uh, reciprocate the emotion that you have for me and mm. I'm marrying a woman. And so in response, Edvard ran off and became a bit of a recluse and wrote The Little Mermaid. So you can see The Little Mermaid, the most famous story of mermaids that we know, as being the most tragic gay love letter never sent. Mm. Which is really nice when you start thinking of, okay, so why is this a creature that is half one thing and half another? Why is this a creature that can't come up onto land without being cursed? Why is this a creature who doesn't get her prince at the end and has her voice silenced? Suddenly there's, there's a lot more into that. And then because of the origins of that story, which may not be been known at the time, mermaids suddenly have this, this queer origin story that really excites me. Then you go into the, the big famous Disney film and you have the fact that Howard Ashman wrote The Little Mermaid. He wrote the songs and helped design some of the characters. Howard mm -hmm. um, was a gay man and he sadly passed away from HIV. And so this is a man who's written songs such as Part of Your World. And if you can think of that from the perspective of a man in the 80s going through that experience where there was this disease where people were dying in their, yeah. in their thousands, where he was losing friends, close, close friends and lovers, and then he finds he has this disease too. There's no cure. HIV being a very different disease to what it is now. And um, anyway, so that again gives us other queer perspective. You even have the fact that Ursula, the sea witch, so Howard wrote that character and it was changed, went through loads of edits. And in the end, they based the, the drawings of the character on Divine, the drag queen from the... Yes, which I think is so yeah, fun. Exactly. So like, actually, mermaids, the way we see them in popular culture have been crafted and depicted and and created recreated by queer people there's a beautiful painting in the queen's house um, which is by evelyn de morgan which is called sea maidens which is a depiction of a scene in the original story by hans christian Andersen, with all of these mermaids and the sisters of ariel coming up to the surface and sort of kind of languishing around each other looking at the human world they're the same model this woman painted over and over and over again and we now know that, um, that Evelyn had a very close and passionate relationship with this model. And she was actually buried, Evelyn, next to her husband, but also next to this model and appeared in the Tate, um, Tate's Queer British Artist exhibition. There's some paintings by Evelyn. It's worth mentioning that there's a charity in the UK that works to support transgender and gender non-conforming young people and their families called Mermaids which really speaks to the power of the symbol in the LGBTQ plus community. Outside of mermaids, I was curious to find out about other mythical creatures that have found a home in the community. In particular, the unicorn has become increasingly popular and often where you find a unicorn, you'll find a rainbow, another strong queer symbol. So other examples, uh, unicorns, um, a lot, of, uh, a lot of my queer friends will describe themselves as unicorns. There is even like a whole kind of cultural subset of people that wear like rainbow unicorn horns. Then you've got fairies. The fact that fairy is a, a British kind of almost like a, a slur against gay people. Like, oh, you big fairy, mincing around like a fairy. And we've sort of taken that back. Yeah. Then you have the whole thing with Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. So you have mm -hmm. all of the kind of that world, um, the high camp, high colour, and the fact that we will often refer to other gay people as, are they a friend of Dorothy? Um, 
So mythical creatures, magical worlds, strange and wonderful, camp and excessive, they're all things that really appeal. And also creatures that sort of blur the line. So the great thing about things like mermaids and fairies is they kind of take features of one creature and mix them with another. And they break the rules of, you know, what what an animal should look like. And in the same sense, they the rules of how men and women and anyone should behave, what gender should look like, what sexuality should look like. So maybe now you fancy being a mermaid hunter like Sasha. First, you're going to need to know where to look. How have these things been referenced in kind of across art and literature? I guess, and also a follow-up, are they intentionally used to be kind of references to the queer culture when they are used? That's a tricky one, and it's a complex one. Um, and it's it's actually very interesting, because you would almost say, no, we've just taken that on. In the same way that the rainbow, as a symbol, uh, we've taken that as our community as being our big flag. And before that, the rainbow has meant many, many things prior to its association. It isn't queer by origin, it's queer by association. Now, I'll come back to this in, in a moment, mm. but there are some things that suggest that mythical creatures have actually got a genderqueer sort of origin that's quite exciting. But um, often these images are appearing uh, in illustrations of fairy tales, so you get a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Mythical creatures are symbolic of um, kind of countries. So when you have uh, big, grand paintings which tell you about the power of the British Navy, you'll often see allegory within that of unicorn heraldry, of kind of hippocampi. So hippocampuses are the seahorses in the most like specific sense. They are half fish, half horse. Okay. Um, and then you also have mermaids being a symbol of the dangers and beauty of the sea. So, so it's allegory, often, is, is how you find these in paintings. Art UK is in the midst of photographing sculptures across the UK for our project to digitise the nation's public sculpture collection, so I would be remiss not to leave you with one example of mermaids in sculpture that can be found in London's Trafalgar Square. I'll give you another story if I can. This is something I found out recently. If you go to Trafalgar Square mm-hmm. and um, you look at the, uh, the the beautiful fountains, you'll notice there's this kind of really muscular merman, or at least you do if you're a gay dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there, there is this kind of muscular merman kind of sort of mounting a dolphin or something. Anyway, I gave okay. a talk at the British Museum um, about mermaids about uh, six months ago, and a woman came up to me afterwards and told me the story that the model for the fountain was her, um, her uncle. And her uncle was an Italian wrestler and bodybuilder who modelled for a number of sculptures um, in in the UK, uh, dotted around London. And um, he was married. Um, He had a a wife who was obviously her aunt. But when he passed away, it came out that he he was gay, that he him and his his wife were in a marriage of convenience um, Mm. and were both expressing their own desires elsewhere. So again. You can walk to Trafalgar Square and there is this queer merman. It's just But it's what's so interesting here is that there doesn't necessarily seem to be a purposeful uh connection between the two things. It's like they just find out that there is that connection, which is kind of weird. It's like it's bringing yeah. these people together with these 
with this imagery and then after the fact you're finding out like oh there is there actually is that connection i think for me it's it's that mermaids are they're an analogy for queer history so like you said i i don't think necessarily in all these cases people are going i'm different i'm queer mermaids that's a symbol Mm -hmm. i do think a a little bit of that is going on because there's you know there's so many data points here there's something there's something about this but I also think it's just a, an example of how if you look at anything long enough from a queer perspective, the stories are there just beneath the surface. So I pick mermaids because they're big, they're in popular culture, everyone loves a mermaid, drag, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race recently did like a mermaid costume, mermaids are very in right now, I don't know <laughs> if you know but May was mermaid. <laughs> hashtag mermaid oh, I miss there you go I miss so, so it's, you know, it's a great popular culture easily accessible analogy to kind of go hey just taking this one thing this one thing mermaids that we all think we know just look underneath there's all these queer stories I could look at turtles I could look at you know um fine art I could look at Fabergé eggs I could pick anything and if you gave me the time and the inclination I could dig and I could get out some great queer stories. So there's also a thing yeah. of saying, yeah, mermaids are a bit queer, but so is everything. Thanks for tuning into this episode. If you want to see some images relating to our discussion today or find out any useful information, head over to artuk.org or click the link down there in that description of this episode. As ever, thank you so much for listening and please join us again next time.